All right. Welcome to the Medicine Podcast. This is Dr. Christopher Hernandez, your host, and today I'm going to be talking through how to do a paracentesis in excruciating detail. Okay. I'm just coming off a two-week interventional radiology rotation during which I performed many paracentesis, thoracentesis, and lumbar punctures. So many of the nuances of these procedures are fresh in my mind, and I thought it would be smart to take this chance to relay what I've learned to my podcasting audience. I'll devote this episode to the paracentesis, and if it goes well, maybe I'll do thoras and LPs too. This episode, admittedly, is only going to be of interest to a fairly specific audience, namely, people who believe they'll be performing paracentesis in the future, but have not yet mastered the procedure, and maybe haven't even done one at all. If that applies to you, please do keep listening. If not, my other episodes are probably going to be of greater interest to you. Okay, let's talk about paracentesis, or paras for short. The goal, of course, is to remove fluid from the abdomen. This is typically done for cirrhotics with ascites, but I'm not going to be discussing etiologies, specific labs and their interpretation, or any medical nonsense like that during this episode. We'll be focusing on the technical aspects of the procedure itself. The first thing to do is to take the ultrasound and ensure that there's something there worth tapping. Just because a patient has a big fat abdomen doesn't mean there's any fluid in there, maybe they're simply obese. You'll be using the curvilinear probe, aka the abdominal probe. Generally, you're going to want to look quite laterally, literally almost where their belly becomes vertical, that is to say, all the way over to the side. Always check both sides, both the left and the right, no matter how good the first side looks. Remember, anytime you're using the ultrasound, you'll want to make sure you know which way is right and left on the screen, which you should check both by looking for the notch or bump on the probe itself, which corresponds with a dot on the screen, as well as by tapping on top of the probe and looking on the screen to see where your finger is tapping. And be sure to use plenty of gel. Okay, on the patient's right side, you'll generally be looking for a nice pocket south of the liver. It's quite easy to spot the liver on ultrasound. If a good amount of fluid is present, you'll generally find some of it just caudal to the liver. On the left, you'll usually be able to find the spleen, but not always, but you don't care about that. What you want to see is a totally dark, that is, hypoechoic region. Totally black, which is technically referred to as anechoic. Fluid is anechoic, or black, on ultrasound. Typically, you'll see a thin layer of skin, fascia, and maybe some adipose tissue at the top of the screen, usually just a centimeter or two thick. Then, if fluid is present, a layer of fluid, hopefully at least a few centimeters in depth. And then, at the bottom of your screen, some irregular lumps that represent bowel. That's the view you're looking for. You can adjust the depth of your ultrasound screen as needed. And remember, you're staying lateral. Let's say you look laterally on both sides and you can't find anything, but then in desperation you start searching more towards the midline, and suddenly you find a nice, juicy, well-demarcated fluid collection to tap. Congratulations, you found the bladder, not what you're looking for. Stay lateral, not only because it helps you avoid the bladder, but more importantly, because it helps you avoid the epigastric arteries. Google some diagrams of the epigastric artery and you'll see they both run fairly midline, just lateral to the umbilicus, symmetrically on the right and left side. As far as vasculature is concerned, hitting that is your main risk in a paracentesis. 
so staying lateral ensures that you stay clear of that. We've already spent a while talking about finding your location, but really this is the most important part of the procedure. The same goes for Thoras and LPs. All is for naught if you don't choose a good spot. For paras, in my opinion, you should always go where the best pocket is. Don't go in on the left side just because you happen to have more space in the room or something on that side when you know there's a better pocket on the right side. Imagine how terrible you'll feel if you cause a complication when you knew there was a better pocket available to you. Don't be that guy. Move the bed, move things around if you have to, but find the best spot and mark it well. This is where you take your special marking tool and try to delineate in some way where you want to go. Most commonly, people will take the end of the cap and dig it into the patient's skin. That sounds harsh, but by that I mean just press quite firmly and hold it in place for maybe five seconds, long enough to leave a nice clear indentation. It's also worth it to take the marker itself and maybe mark the edges of the probe so you know exactly where you want to place it, and maybe draw a nice big circle where you think you'll want your drape. But the problem with using the marker is that when you go to clean the patient, you'll most likely erase your marks halfway, if not completely, so it's very helpful to have that nice clear indentation in place because that won't get erased by the chloroprep. If you make that indentation well enough, it'll stick around long after you need it. Okay, so if you didn't find fluid, you could congratulate the patient, tell him or her that there's nothing to tap, and abort the procedure. You can do this before wasting time consenting the patient or wasting materials opening up kits. But of course, we're going to assume that you did find fluid, and plenty of it, so you've decided to proceed with the procedure. The first thing to do is to consent the patient. I won't go into the whole spiel, but basically you should make them aware of what you're going to do, the benefits, and the risks. Benefits include feeling better and possibly running some tests on the fluid. Risks include bleeding, infection, perforation of bowel or abdominal organs. You're probably going to want to reassure them that you'll be using plenty of lidocaine to numb them up, and you'll be using the ultrasound to make sure you don't stab their guts. So take your time consenting the patient. This is where you can build your rapport, win them over, and still trust. If you can convince them that they're in good hands, then they're more likely to remain calm and cooperative and everything will go more smoothly. Okay, so you've consented the patient, you've found the best pocket available, and you've marked your spot. It's time to get going with the procedure itself. I'm going to focus on a lot of little things. Some of this may seem like minutia, but getting the little things right is the key to having a procedure go smoothly. So let's think about the position of the patient. You want them comfortable. For paras, we generally keep the head of the bed elevated, say at 30 degrees or so. It may be worthwhile to have them shift their belly or slightly rotate their body in your direction so that the fluid collects better there and you have better access to the spot. You'll want to make sure you get any lines and clothing out of the way. This doesn't just mean pulling their pants down a little bit. It may mean taking a rag and tucking it in their pants and pulling that down significantly. It may mean taking their shirt off completely of course, if this is an inpatient procedure, they may be in a hospital gown, which helps, and you may have techs or assistants to help you with all this, but just be sure to clear yourself plenty of space and to tuck things such that there is no chance that something will roll or unfold into your field. This is also a good time to pump up the bed so that you don't have to bend your back low for the whole procedure. You probably want the bed pretty darn high. Uh, you just want everything easily accessible to you, especially the spot where you'll be poking your needle. All right, it's almost time to glove up. Wash your hands if you haven't already. 
put on a bouffant cap or a surgical cap, put on a mask, make sure all your gear is assembled on a conveniently located table, you'll want to make sure you have a trash can conveniently located as well. You might as well optimize the positions of all these things now because once you put your sterile gloves on, you can't touch anything that isn't part of your sterile field. Don't touch your face to adjust your mask. Don't move the trash can with your gloved hand. Don't accidentally touch the trash can when you're throwing something away. I've seen several med students acting way too carelessly about sterility. Don't make anyone else wonder if you touched something. Just because you might be confident you didn't doesn't mean the people around you are. And whether they're supervising you or subordinate to you, they deserve to be kept happy too. So keep nice, wide margins, drop things into the trash can from a distance, keep your hands well in front of your body when you're not using them so that they don't accidentally touch your chest. Make such practices a habit. Okay, you're all set to go, so you glove up. Unfortunately, even this is a non-trivial task because you've got to preserve sterility. So you've got to grab the first glove by the inside and pull it over your hand without letting the outside touch anything. And then you've got to use your newly gloved hand to handle the other glove by the outside, allowing you to put your second hand in without contaminating the first sterile hand. All this is actually not easy to do at first, so be mindful of the task. Messing this up and having to re-glove will be a quick way to lose the confidence of your team or the patient. Okay, now it's time to clean the patient. Most kits will have a chloroprep or something. Squeeze the plastic to break the seal and clean a wide area around the spot that you've marked. Be mindful at all times of your gloves. The area isn't sterile until it's cleansed, so you don't want to accidentally brush the bed or any clothing or any unsterilized skin. One chloroprep is sufficient, but if you have a second one in your kit, you might as well use that one too. Once you've cleansed an area much larger than the hole in the drape, you can go ahead and put the drape on. You'll remove the tape to reveal the adhesive sections. Drapes, of course, may vary a bit by kit, but regardless, you want to hold the drape such that it projects out towards the patient so you can easily place it over the marked spot without your gloved hands coming into contact with the patient. Then you carefully unfold the drape over the patient, careful to touch only the drape, which again isn't always easy, but now you should have a nice large sterile field. If you feel you need a larger workspace, you can ask your assistant for some sterile linens, and you can lay out the sterile towels over the edge of your draped drape to enlarge your field. I recommend doing this. All right, let's turn your attention to the kits. Before getting started with the procedure itself, make sure your kit is fully prepped. This entails doing a lot of little things. Throw out any provided pamphlets or paperwork, you don't need that stuff. Use the larger needle, pink in the kits we use, to draw up some lidocaine and then switch over to a nice thin needle, blue in the kits we use, which you'll use to actually inject the lidocaine. Set that aside, you're still just setting up. Make sure your scalpel's there. Now turn your attention to the main needle, your catheter needle apparatus, which I'll just refer to as your catheter needle. Make sure you understand it, especially since they vary in appearance by kit as well. There will be a catheter over the needle and you want to go ahead and test it out to make sure it's mobile. So grab the end of the needle with one hand and the end of the catheter with the other and unscrew them and advance the catheter a bit just to make sure you understand the motion and everything is working as it's supposed to. Once you've confirmed that, screw the catheter back onto the needle, but gently. 
You want it screwed on tightly enough that there's no chance it will accidentally slide free during the procedure, but loosely enough that you'll very easily be able to unscrew it and advance the catheter once the needle is in place. That's the main thing. The only other thing you might want to consider is attaching a 10 milliliter syringe to the end of your catheter needle. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But let's continue with setting up the kit. If you're going to be drawing labs, you'll need a few large 60 milliliter syringes for that purpose. These often come with a little bit of air in them, so I just go ahead and squeeze all the air out of each one, and also make sure you have the little caps for them. If you're missing anything, just have your assistant carefully drop the needed items onto your field in a sterile fashion. You'll also need the tubing that connects your catheter to the wall suction. Identify this and go ahead and remove any tape that may be binding it up. You'll also have some gauze, which you may want to go ahead and set on your sterile field so you can grab it quickly when you need it. And lastly, if you're going to do the procedure under ultrasound guidance, you'll have your ultrasound probe cover. For the purposes of this episode, I'm going to assume you are doing the procedure under ultrasound guidance. Okay, you've already drawn up your lidocaine and gotten your kit ready to go, so you're ready to set up your ultrasound. Have an assistant apply gel to the end of the probe, and then carefully drop it in the pouch you make with the probe cover. Then, once you get a good grip on the ultrasound through the probe cover, the assistant can pull the telescoping probe cover sheath over the ultrasound cable, now you have a nice sterile ultrasound probe. Make sure the cover is very tight over the end of the probe with no air bubbles or extra plastic flapping around and wrap or double wrap one of the provided rubber bands over the probe to hold the probe cover snugly in place. Set your sterile ultrasound on the field. Okay, we're like 10 minutes in already and we're finally ready to actually start the procedure. I warned you there'd be excruciating detail. I also mentioned that we're assuming you're doing all this under ultrasound guidance. I figure if you have the ultrasound available, you might as well use it, if only for practice. The more you try to see your needle tip on ultrasound, the better you'll get at finding it. For many patients with large volume ascites, you would be totally fine not using ultrasound once you've marked your spot. You could just go straight in, pulling back on your syringe to generate some negative pressure as you advance the needle and stopping when you hit fluid. In fact, back in the old days, of course, paracentesis were done entirely without ultrasound, and complication rates, though higher than they are with ultrasound, were still very low. So if you've marked your spot and it's a big pocket of fluid and you don't feel like using ultrasound at this point, and you have some experience, fine. But I feel you may as well use it every time, if only for practice. Plus, you never know if the patient moved a little bit and maybe a loop of bowel floated right up into your spot. So in my opinion, you might as well use the probe. Okay, so let's say you're going to use ultrasound. Grab your lidocaine needle with your dominant hand, I'll assume this is your right hand, and use your left hand to place the probe on the patient to confirm your spot. If everything looks good, it's time to make your wheel, that is to numb up the skin. A correctly made wheel isn't just the skin bulging a little bit from the subcutaneous lidocaine, but rather a very distinct looking elevation of the skin that blanches. You'll know it when you see it. These can be tricky to make at first because the needle tip has to be right at the surface of the skin. I find it's easier to do with two hands, so what I would recommend is putting down the probe while keeping an eye on your spot. Then, after warning the patient that a little bee sting is about to come, slide just the tip of your lidocaine needle under the skin and maybe even pull up on the skin a little bit, tenting it out. 
and then inject about a cc of lidocaine right there. Hopefully you'll see your nice blanching white wheel, maybe a centimeter in diameter. If you don't, try to slide the needle back just a little bit, pulling back to the point where it almost pops out of the skin and inject some more lidocaine right there. If you get close enough to the surface of the skin, you should get your wheel. Okay, so you've numbed up the skin. Now it's time to numb up those pesky nerves along the peritoneum, because that's the other spot that can hurt quite a bit for the patient. If you weren't using ultrasound, I guess you'd just stab the needle in a ways and hope you were injecting some of the lidocaine in the right spot. In theory, you might be able to feel the peritoneum's slightly increased resistance compared to the fascial layer, and you could use that to guide your injection. But I'd say this is the perfect time to take your ultrasound guidance seriously. Now there's the question of where to place your needle in relation to the probe, and there's more than one way to do it. You could come over the middle of the probe, kind of like you're doing a central line, but the problem with that, of course, is that you'll only be able to see a cross-section of your needle, which will appear as kind of a dot. You can't possibly get the whole needle in view because the plane of the needle is not aligned with the plane of the ultrasound probe's view. But if you come from the side of the ultrasound probe, in theory you can get the entire needle right in the plane of the ultrasound. And there's nothing more satisfying than seeing that bright white diagonal line on the corner of the screen that represents the full length of your needle. This is how you'll do thoracentesis too, so I figure it's worth practicing and you might as well just do it every time. So let's start with the lidocaine. Place your probe against the skin, be sure to use plenty of gel, and be sure that you're holding your probe correctly. That is, probably with your index and thumb around the probe itself and your other three fingers splayed out against the patient's skin or the drape. The point is that you want your probe very nicely stabilized, and that won't be the case unless you have anchored your hand in some way against the patient. Angle the probe slightly towards your chosen spot, then carefully slide your lidocaine needle right through the center of that wheel you just created on the skin. Advance the needle very slowly and adjust the angle of your needle and your ultrasound very carefully until you get your needle in view. You may not be able to see the perfect white light I mentioned before, that's okay, but you should be able to at least catch a glimpse of your needle here and there, or you'll at least see some tenting of the peritoneum when you get close to it. You should also definitely rely on that trick where you gently rock the needle forward and backward and look for the disturbance that creates on the ultrasound screen. This is an extremely useful trick that you should be using often in all procedures to help identify roughly where the needle is, then you can adjust your probe until you actually see the needle itself. In any case, don't stress about the lidocaine needle too much because it's very small and can't really harm the patient. It's also so small that it's relatively hard to see on ultrasound. But try your best to use the ultrasound to confirm that you've gotten close to the peritoneum. When you think you're right up against it, dump a good amount of lidocaine there, at least two cc's, maybe three or four if the patient is a crybaby or knows from prior procedures that they require a lot of lidocaine. Then, making a point to remember the path you're taking, inject the rest, or at least a good amount, of your remaining lidocaine as you slowly withdraw the lidocaine needle out of the patient. By doing this, you are numbing a very specific tract from skin to peritoneum. The more pro you get, the better you'll be at remembering exactly where this tract is and retracing the very same path with your catheter needle. That's how you minimize the patient's discomfort. Not easy to do at first, but it does get easier. Okay, so your lidocaine needle is out and the patient's numbed up. Time to make a little nick with your scalpel. 
You won't need to push the scalpel all the way in. A third of the way in will probably be sufficient, just enough to make a roughly three millimeter incision so that your catheter needle can easily slip through the skin. Then close your scalpel and place it to the side. If there's bleeding, wipe it away with some gauze. All right, time for the main event. Again, you could insert your catheter needle multiple ways. You could even just insert it blind with some negative pressure as you go, and when you see that nice yellowish fluid, you'll know you're in. You could insert it over the middle of the ultrasound and look for that unmistakable tenting of the peritoneum, which should correspond with a slight increase in resistance against the needle until you poke through. As you know, I recommend doing it from the side of the ultrasound probe in exactly the same way you'll be doing for thoras. The more practice you can get doing it this way, the better. If you want to see a flash of fluid right when you enter the peritoneal cavity, you can still attach a 10 milliliter syringe to the end of your catheter needle and exert negative pressure by pulling back on the syringe somewhat as you advance the needle. This is a good technique, the only downside is that you do sacrifice some control of your needle because you're holding the whole apparatus from a distance that is by the end of a syringe attached to the end of the catheter needle. So you sacrifice some finesse for the sake of improved feedback. An alternative method is to keep the needle capped and just rely on finding your needle tip in the cavity on ultrasound. I'm increasingly fond of this technique because it's crucial to know where your needle tip really is. And this is what you'll want to do anyway when you're trying difficult paras or thoras with very small target pockets where finesse and finding your needle tip is of the essence. So let's say you're doing it this way. First, you can use both hands to just slide the tip of the catheter needle into the slit you made with the scalpel. Right now, you're just introducing the catheter needle. Then you can place the ultrasound probe on the patient and start trying to find your needle tip. You'll want the probe all the way up against your needle and angled slightly towards the needle to ensure that the needle appears on screen. And you'll angle the needle slightly towards the probe too. If you're being pro, you're remembering the tract you took with the lidocaine needle, and you're trying to advance your catheter needle down exactly the same tract. This catheter needle apparatus is significantly thicker than the lidocaine needle was, so it should actually be much easier to see on ultrasound. You'll see disturbances in the fascia as you advance, if not the needle itself. But if you have the needle in the same plane as the ultrasound, that is, angled in just the same way the ultrasound is and at the center of the probe, you should actually be able to see your entire needle on screen as a bright, hyperechoic line, and the tip itself will be especially echogenic or bright. Okay, so you're advancing slowly and carefully, and if you don't see your needle, you're at least using that gentle back and forth stabbing trick I mentioned before to identify the needle plane and roughly where it is. You know from the gradations on the ultrasound screen how thick your fascial plane is. If it's only a centimeter or so thick, then by the time your needle is a centimeter or two in, you can expect to start seeing the peritoneum tent in towards the peritoneal cavity. That's what you're looking for because that's the membrane you're hoping to poke through. It's usually pretty easy to see as long as your probe is placed in the right plane. This is also the moment that may be most painful for the patient so as you get more pro, you can warn them before you poke through the membrane. It may take slightly more force than you've needed so far. So if you see your needle tip tenting the peritoneum, then firmly advance further and poke through it. You may feel a sudden decrease in resistance as you do so, so be careful not to let your needle slide further. 
Once you think you've poked through, fan your ultrasound very slightly if you need to and look for that needle tip. You really should be able to find a nice bright white spot representing your needle tip. And if you've actually gotten into the fluid collection, it should be very easy to see against the black anechoic background of fluid. This is a very satisfying image to find, so try to find it. If you're saving images, have your assistant or tech press the save button on the ultrasound to save the shot. Remember, if there's plenty of fluid, you want to advance the needle far enough that the needle tip is clearly in the fluid, not right up against the peritoneum where it could easily slip out of the cavity. So if you can see it on the ultrasound, don't be afraid to push it in a good centimeter or so, or at least half a centimeter, so you're clearly in the space. Okay, so you think you've confirmed correct placement on ultrasound. Now, still without moving anything, you also need to confirm correct placement by looking for the return of fluid itself. That's the entire goal of the procedure, after all. If you put a syringe on the end of your catheter, great. If you were advancing with negative pressure, you should already be seeing that urine-looking fluid collecting in your syringe. If you didn't use the syringe, now's the time to pull the white cap off your needle catheter apparatus, and you'll probably see a drop or two of fluid dribble out of the end. Or maybe you already took the cap off, in which case you should already be seeing a trickle of fluid. And that's all the confirmation you need. That, combined with your ultrasound feedback, tells you quite convincingly that you've successfully placed your needle in the peritoneal cavity. So now it's time to actually hub your catheter. Okay, please remember, this is basically the only moment during the entire procedure where you can really fuck up. Do not hub your needle. Your needle stays exactly where it is. You unscrew the catheter, which is soft and wide and on the outside of the needle, and you advance the catheter over the needle while the needle stays perfectly still. If you have a mental lapse here and you hub the needle, you could really hit bowel or something. So be careful. Advance the catheter only. If the catheter pokes bowel, which it may well do, it's not going to cause any problems. It's a very soft thing that will just kind of be pushed to the side. So don't worry about hubbing the catheter. That's what you want to do. Push it all the way in, but keep the needle very still. Once the catheter is all the way in, gently slide your needle out, holding the catheter in place. Once the needle is out, put a thumb over the end of your catheter to halt the dribble of acidic fluid, which will be coming out faster now that your needle's out. Set your needle aside, attach the end of your tubing to the catheter, and have your assistant or tech attach the other end to suction if it isn't already. Pinch the sticky part of a tegaderm over the end of your catheter and stick it lightly against the patient's skin just to help make sure the catheter doesn't accidentally slide out. The tegaderm is just a little bit of insurance. Your tubing will probably have a spot you can draw labs from, controlled in our kits by a three-way stopcock. Fill your 60 milliliter syringes with fluid and cap them. Then if you're doing a therapeutic tap and not just a diagnostic tap, Keep the tubing to suction and basically just draw out as much fluid as you can. If the drip stops, you may have to play with the catheter a bit. Maybe some bowel got sucked up against the end of it. Jiggle it, pull it out slightly, stop the suction, and then restart it. Some combination of these things will often restart the drip. You can always throw the ultrasound back on to see how much fluid's still there in the abdomen. Unlike in Thora's, for paras, there's pretty much no limit to how much fluid you can remove from the abdomen. 
If you remove anything more than four or five liters, you'll want to give some albumin, generally 25 milligrams if you've only removed five or six liters, 50 milligrams if it's more like seven or eight. Formulas differ, and the evidence about the benefit is honestly not the greatest, but it's the standard practice, so figure out what your institution's policy is and adhere to that. Also, unlike Thora's, patients generally tolerate the drainage of fluid from their abdomen with comfort. They're usually only uncomfortable as the needle is going in, and that part obviously is long over. When you've drained as much as you can or want to, it's time for the catheter to come out. This part's easy enough. Just place some gauze over the hole and pull the catheter out in one gentle but somewhat swift movement. You'll want to have the suction turned off by that point. Usually there's very little bleeding or leakage and that's that, but occasionally you do get a patient that's a little more of a leaker. If they're known to leak, one thing you could have tried at the beginning is taking what they call a Z-path, which you do for instance by angling the needle slightly downward when you enter, then pulling the whole apparatus up quite a bit and advancing from there. What you're doing, you're essentially making your tract into a Z-shape, and this helps the weight of the body close your tract back up when all is said and done. But that's an advanced technique that people rarely seem to talk about, and I feel is only used for those patients who are known leakers. Okay, so you're basically done. It's still time to take care of all the little things. Wipe down the area with gauze or wet rags if you have to, and throw a band-aid over the incision site. Throw away all your sharps in the sharp spin. Be careful you don't poke anyone or yourself. Throw away the drape. The linens, if you use them, can be recycled. Toss them in the linen bin. These 60 milliliter syringes need patient stickers and labels and to be put in a bag with the orders printed out for the lab. I don't even know what happens to the canisters of acidic fluid. They are magically disposed of somehow. Trash the ultrasound cover and wipe down your ultrasound. Basically just clean everything up as much as possible. Put your patient's bed back down if you raised it up, get everything back to the way it was. All right, good work. Hopefully all that helps you visualize what the procedure is going to feel like if you've never done one before, or refreshes all the steps in your mind if you have. I'll just review a couple of the most crucial things and then we'll call it a day. One, choose a good spot. This is the first step in the whole process, but it's arguably the most important one. So search both sides of the abdomen carefully and figure out exactly where you want to go. Two, you might as well use ultrasound guidance. Practice makes perfect. Three, when you've gotten the needle in place, hub the catheter, not the needle. Remember, that's the only thing you can really fuck up. If you remember those few things, you're going to be a-okay. It did admittedly take a long time to mention every detail of the procedure, but don't be overwhelmed. Paras are actually not very hard at all, and once you've done four or five, you'll get the basics down. From then on, you'll mostly just be polishing your technique and improving your motor control of the needle and the ultrasound. Alright, that's a wrap. As always, please feel free to email me with questions, feedback, or comments at themedicinepodcast at gmail.com. The podcast should be available on many different podcasting platforms by now, so if you like the show, please do leave a rating or review. It will help other listeners to find it. All right then, see you next time.